When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello to all you podcast listeners. We're bringing you something really special. One of the great spiritual thinkers of our time, Eckhart Tolle and I, are giving you a chapter-by-chapter class on what I believe is his groundbreaking masterpiece, Eckhart's best-selling book, A New Earth, Awakening to Your Life's Purpose. This book resonated with me in such a profound way. I truly think that it's the most important book I've ever read. It's changed the way I live my life, so much so that I always have a copy on my nightstand because I constantly give myself a refresher course. And now more than ever, we need to create what Eckhart calls a new earth inside our personal lives, in our communities, and the world. Give it a listen, and over 10 episodes, you too will be opened up and learn how to quiet your mind, get your ego in check, live a fully more present life, We're talking deep, big picture, even delving into consciousness and the reason why we're all really here. My greatest hope is that Eckhart's quiet wisdom and patient teachings will resonate with you as they have with me. Each podcast episode will start with my conversation with Eckhart about a chapter, and then Eckhart answers questions from people who are reading along in the book. So I encourage you to get your own copy of A New Earth, Awakening, to your life's purpose, and join us for a thrilling, enlightening, and spiritual experience. We're nearly halfway through our New Earth series with Eckhart Tolle, one of my favorite spiritual thinkers of all time. So chapter five, wow, it is a really good one. It helps explain a lot. It is about how all the stuff you're dragging around from your past is causing all kinds of pain and drama right now in the present. Eckhart has a name for this. He calls it the pain body. Oh, this one's a game changer, I gotta tell you. Once you begin connecting to the idea of the pain body, you can see it. You can, I mean, we all know somebody where it's shown up big time and it may be showing up in you. You're gonna have new perspective on those moments when it feels like all your buttons are being pushed. It's that pain body showing up. And if you've ever had long-standing issues with a family member or friend, you might just find the secret to healing a broken relationship. So let the ahas begin. On to chapter five, the pain body. We're at the halfway mark, and I'd like to thank all of you who are committed to this work and make time every week to share this space with us and to give this to yourself. So together, I believe that we are beginning to create powerful changes in our lives as individuals and then putting that out into the world. Before we get started, I wanted to share something with all of you. Our friend Elizabeth Lesser of the Omega Institute sent me a poem that I'd like to share with everybody. So listen to this, Eckhart. It says, stand still, the trees ahead and bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here, and you must treat it as a powerful stranger, must ask permission to know it and be known. 
The forest breathes. Listen, it answers. I have made this place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again, saying, here. No two trees are the same to Raven. No two branches are the same to Wren. If what a tree or a bush does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. Don't you love that? Oh, that's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. What I'm finding too, reading this book and then working with you every week, is that everything starts to be sacred. I mean, everything starts to be. You can find the sacred in the most ordinary of things. Yes. And that there, there is, there is a, there's a calmness and a stillness to almost everything if you can get quiet enough yourself to feel it. Yes. Yeah, yes. that's what's happening to me. Yes. As so many other people are experiencing whatever you're experiencing, how this, this, the reading of this book, the awakening for you is taking on whatever form it does in your life. That's, that's what I'm seeing for myself. Yes. Yeah. But there's, everything's magical. Yes. yes. You never have to be bored, ever. No, no, that's, and, and the need for artificial stimulus goals when people continuously need to, whenever they get home, they need to switch something on to yeah. have some kind of um, entertainment. You can still enjoy entertainment, but you're not dependent anymore. On that to fill you up. Yeah. Well, tonight we're discussing chapter five. So glad we're in the pain box. <laughs> so I wanted to just start with uh, my idea of an overview of this chapter. You say that in this chapter that the human mind seems to be hooked on, on my, me and my story, constant mind chatter that keeps negative emotions alive and personalizes everything. You say the beginning of this chapter on page 129, I'm on everybody, that the greatest part of most people's thinking is involuntary, automatic, and repetitive. It's no more than a kind of mental static and fulfills no real purpose. Strictly speaking, you don't think. Uh, thinking happens to you. The statement, I think, implies volition, you say. It implies that you have a say in the matter, that there's a voice involved on your part. But uh, really, you say, I think it's just as false a statement as I digest or I circulate my blood. Digestion happens, circulation happens, thinking happens. Yes. Yeah. So it's becoming aware that thinking happens to you all the time. The key is becoming aware of it. It's happening to everybody. Until the awareness occurs, then you are identified with that voice in the head, with its repetitive thought patterns. And that uh, is most people, what most people are trapped in, and it makes up their superficial personality with all their, the continuous repetitive judgments and, and likes and dislikes and prejudices and so on, whatever makes up the content of their egoic mind. So people are trapped in that and derive their sense of self from that, which is ultimately insubstantial, conditioned by the past, not who they are. Absolutely. And you say also in chapter five, The Pain Body, you show how this addiction to being these thoughts in our head, this addiction to these thoughts in our head, to this negativity, is at the root of humanity's problems. On page 137, you write, we are a species that has lost its way. Yes. 
and we are lost, I could say also we are species lost, we are lost in thought. We've lost ourselves in the mind. Mm. So looking for some kind of identity in the movement of thinking without ever really finding it. So most important step in any police awakening is to realize that there is a voice in the head that, that doesn't stop speaking. When you realize, oh, this, and then you begin to realize what kinds of things the voice is saying, repetitive judgments and so on, negative thoughts about yourself, about other people, about situations you're in, especially all these repetitive negative thoughts that many people are trapped with, you become aware of that. Yes, and you were, then you become aware that it's really just the story that you've told yourself yes. about yourself. Yes. And that's all it is. Yes. All right, that it has no power. Yes. Yes. And the past has no power over No power. The, the power comes in with your awareness that there is a voice. Yes. Because the awareness is not part of it, and that is part of being becoming present. Yes. One of my favorite quotes of this, this chapter is, nothing, on page 141, nothing ever happened in the past that can prevent you from being present now. And if the past cannot prevent you from being present now, what power does it have? Yes. Yes. Because many people are so attached to the past that they carry a burden, like, like carrying a, a huge sack on your back, a burden that, that around, you're identified with that. And they believe that they're unable to be present because the past prevents them from being present. But it can't do that. You can step out of the stream of thinking, take your attention into the present, and immediately the past no longer has that power over you. Because nothing ever happened in the past that can prevent you from being present. Yes. Now. Yes. You say that, that the core of all of this is the pain body. On page 141 we read that any negative emotion that is not fully faced and seen for what it is in the moment it arises does not completely dissolve the energy field of old but still very much alive emotion that lives in almost every human being is the pain body. And chapter five introduces us to the pain body. Amazing. You know, when I read this, I thought about my childhood. Now, I've shared my childhood with lots of people, and as a child, I was um, raised by my grandmother for the first six years, and my grandmother used to whip me often, like I used to get beatings on a regular basis. And it was really a part of our culture, and I know many of you were raised this way too, that not only would you get beaten for almost, you know, for doing nothing, for you broke a glass or you, you know, spoke out of turn or whatever the adults deemed was, was inappropriate for you in that moment, but I would get beaten and then I was never allowed to have any emotion about it. I remember feeling many times my grandmother would, would, would whip me with switches. She would braid the switches together and I'd get a whipping. And then in the middle of whipping me, she'd say, stop your crying, stop your crying. And I'd get whipped until I would stop crying. And then afterwards she would say, you better wipe that pout off of your face. You better put a smile on your face. So you'd have to now act as though the beating that you just had didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And when I read this, that any negative emotion that is not fully faced and seen for what it is in the moment it arises 
does not completely dissolve. It leaves behind a remnant of pain. I realized that that pain of not being able to express the emotion of just being able to be angry. I mean, now I see kids today when their parents say something and they don't like it, the kids can say, I don't like you, or that upset me, or, you know, God forbid, I hate you, which, you know, in my culture was never allowed. You had to suppress that, whatever you're feeling. If you're beaten, wipe that pout off of your face, wipe your tears, stop crying right now. And so that would be a huge pain body that I would end up carrying, yes. especially as a child, because you yes. say children yes. especially yes. carry it. So did you find then that as you grew up, that there was a lot of unexpressed negative emotion in you? Um, I didn't, it wasn't unexpressed. It was um, repressed ability to, it, it's what caused me to have the disease to please for so long, mm -hmm. a desire to please every, everybody because the ability to say in the moment, this upsets me or this really bothers me or what you're doing I don't like was not something I, I felt I could do. Yeah. For the longest time, yeah. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. So the the all these negative remnants of negative emotions they become they accumulate in the body. Mm -hmm. and I then... ate mine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and then together they form what I call because now we need to realize that any emotion that you have is a form of energy that's right. acceptable, I think, to most people. Right. Just as every thought you have is a form of energy, right. every thought is energy, so there's nothing spooky about that. So when we say, when I say that the, the pain body can be considered almost an entity in its own right that lives in you, some people find that's a little spooky, but all that I'm trying to say is here that it's an energy form Entity is another word for it. Mm -hmm. So the, an energy form lives in you that you may not be aware of all the time because some of the time it is dormant mm -hmm. and it's only active for a certain percentage of time. So first realization is that there is something in me that seeks unhappiness, that seeks unpleasant experiences, that seeks more negativity, mm -hmm. because it feeds on those things. Those things, negative thoughts, will feed the pain body. That is one of the uh, favorite ways mm -hmm. the pain body to feed, is on your, your own thinking. Mm -hmm. So this is very important for people to realize, to observe within themselves that Periodically, in many people, an addiction to negativity arises. And if you can be, recognize that as it arises, then you're no longer totally at the mercy of it. Right, because the awareness dissipates it. Yes. 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 Yeah. And so, back to this point, though, whenever there is negativity in your life that you never fully dealt with, that negativity, the energy of that negativity has to go someplace. And you're saying where it goes is inside us. Yes. And uh, for me, everybody knows I've struggled with my weight for years. For me, that's the form that, that it takes. For a lot of other people, it makes them outwardly, you know, angry or negative toward other people. Yes. 
But it has to take some form. For some people, it makes them sick, makes them ill. Yes. Uh-huh. And a very frequent manifestation of it, perhaps the most frequent manifestation of the pain body is in uh, intimate relationships, mm -hmm. where periodically partners have to go through their drama. They have to reenact drama every few weeks, mm -hmm. some, in some cases every few days. They go through intense emotional negativity. And usually the pain body awakens first in one, in either the man or the woman first. Mm -hmm. And when the pain body awakens, it wants some kind of reaction, negative emotional it's reaction, seeking that from the other because person. it feeds on it. Mm -hmm. So many people have realized when I've spoken about it, they realize, oh yes, this is happening in our relationship, mm -hmm. that periodically the need, the pain body arises and it then will attempt to push the partner's buttons, as they're called in some form of psychotherapy. They say mm -hmm. pushing the person's buttons means the pain body knows exactly what buttons to push in your partner, buttons that will certainly bring a negative reaction. Now, is the pain body ultimately this feeling of not being good enough? Is the pain body there because of a feeling of not being worthy of not knowing its sense of presence or consciousness? Is that why it's well, the pain could, body? It's the emotional uh, aspect of the ego. Yes. So really, pain body is part of the ego, and it's a very unhappy entity. Mm -hmm. But because its very uh, existence consists of this unhappy vibration, it does not want an end to its unhappiness, because an end to its unhappiness is the end of the, to the pain body. Got it. Got it. Linda, she has a question about the pain body and her sister. I do. And thank you, Oprah, so much for this. I, I first encountered your book, Mr. Chole, in 2005 and have read it at least four times. Uh, you write on page 148 that the pain bodies love intimate relationships right. and families because that is where they get most of their food. And that really resonated for me. I had a huge aha moment because I have a sister who has always interacted with everyone in the family in a very dramatic way. And I, I always considered her to be a drama queen who would rather have a problem than solve a problem. Um, but after reading this uh, chapter, it helped me so much understand more about her and what was going on and why she was interacting with us the way that she is. My question is, now that I've seen that, of course, I wanted to call her and um, have her read the book, And but you've already talked about how sometimes that's not necessarily the best way to approach right, right. people. Right. But how, what is the way? How can I really reconnect the family? She has separated from our family. She's separated from her children from us. And we have no relationship at all. And it's really um, tragic. And I want to do something to help bring us back together and don't know what to do. Mm. So at the moment, you have no contact with her at all? She has totally withdrawn everything. I, I do send her emails um, every month or so just to check in. Sometimes she responds, but very terse and cold, most times not. 
Well, the uh, wait for, uh, I hope an opportunity will arise for you to get together at some point so you can continue to invite her if there's an event at home or whatever and then just be open and but when she does come uh, it's very important for you to uh, not to buy into her uh, uh, drama i don't know yeah. whether this happened in the past whether she used to draw other family members into her drama that's usually the, the tendency yes. so uh, now when you meet her again then you will realize, of course, you will be in a different state of consciousness because you will see that what she is suffering from is the disease of the pain body. Mm -hmm. And that is not part of who she actually is in truth. So you can be there as a very compassionate presence. Mm -hmm. And when the drama arises again, as it will, because her pain body will be very active again, when she meets you or any family member, when uh -huh. it happens again, it is very unlikely that you will be, you will find yourself forced to react to the pain body because you will be present. So you can simply recognize the pain body in her without the need, as that was there in the past, the need to react to it and therefore okay. buy into her drama and feed her drama. And that will be a very strange experience for her somebody who simply accepts her the way she is and if accusations come at you, whatever she does, you did this or whatever, whatever form the drama takes. You sound like you know her. <laughs> I know the pain body. <laughs> <laughs> They're all the same, basically. Mm -hmm. So then you can, you can simply accept that she's suffering from this and simply be there as a compassionate presence without reacting allow her to be in her pain body. And that, that means the, the drama cannot sustain itself for very long mm -hmm. if only one part, one person plays the drama. It needs two. So you're not feeding her pain body anymore. And then see what happens. She may be confused. I've experienced that quite a few times when people came up to me with, uh, heavy pain bodies. It's a story that you tell in this chapter yeah, yes. about the friend, the friend who comes to your house and she has all the papers and she's complaining, oh, yeah. Linda, yes. and she doesn't know what to do and she lays out all the papers and she's complaining, 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 and Eckhart basically says nothing but just listens and is the presence there for her. Yes. And finally she picks up her papers, confused, and just goes home and the next day says, what did you do to me? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, but don't underestimate the pain body's ability to draw out some, to make you unconscious again, to push right. some yeah. kind of button, and you will find yourself reacting again because pain bodies are very cunning, yeah. very clever, and they know exactly what what will make you unconscious and what will make you react. You speak of it like it's a creature that's like an alien yeah. force inside of us. Yeah. I, yes, that's how I see it. Really, <laughs> really. But you see that, Linda. That this is this then becomes your sacred spiritual journey. This is a part of your spiritual journey to not be drawn into the drama. Well, I, it's so interesting you put it that way, Oprah, because that's what I've kind of come to the conclusion yeah. that this is part of my awakening. Yeah. You know, if I role in my family is to kind of be the one to help 
her get out of this. Yeah. Yes. And not by judging and not by telling yeah. her to, but by being that which you, you know, want, wish to emulate. Yeah, and that's the hard part. Yeah, that's not, hard. Yes. Not judging, because I guess that's the part of the pain body that she activates in me. Because yes. your pain body wants to say, who do you think you are? Exactly. <laughs> yes. I know. Yeah. I've been there. And, uh, <laughs> and of course, the, when, the, when the pain body takes over a person, the, the whole personality becomes transformed. And you know, sometimes people are shocked when they, they marry somebody or they start living with somebody. And this this lovely man or woman that they said that they loved so much one morning suddenly he or she turns into a little monster and the total energy shift in them a complete change of energy like like it's truly as if they were possessed by a completely different very negative personality and that comes as a shock often to people when they start living together. Yeah. And you, again, it doesn't mean that necessarily that you chose the wrong person to live with. It just means for the first time you experienced the pain body that showed person's up. pain body. And also what you what we were talking about in the last chapter, you were playing a role up until then. You yes. were playing the role, I am in love with you. Yes. And often love, you say, <clears throat> is about your own possessiveness. Yes. Yes. And so the roles are easy to play as long as you're not living together, then you can sustain the roles. But when you start living together, uh, very soon the roles cannot be played anymore. And also that's why I was thinking with the pain bodies, what happens on a lot of holidays, Linda, you've seen this in families, Everybody comes together and you have all those pain bodies in a room. Oh, yeah. Clashing. Clashing and oh. reacting to one another and all living in the past, about the past. Oh, because yes. Because that's what yes. all the, that's what the coming together for families is about. Is Thanksgiving and Christmas Day are the best day for the pain bodies because... Yeah. Really? <laughs> everywhere. And often the families go through the same thing year after year. Really? Thank you, Linda, for bringing that up. Thank you so much. Yeah, the reason why all the, you have all these pain bodies clashing Thanksgiving on the major holidays, they come together, and people have a, an image in their mind, the Courier and Ives, the painting of what they want the Thanksgiving dinner yes. to be, and instead it becomes something different because everybody's bringing their past. Yes. And living, living that moment through their past. Yes, 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 amazing. So how do we change that? Well, the, uh, be, it just takes one person to be present mm -hmm. and one person not to participate in this. Mm -hmm. So when next event happens, family gathering, whatever it is, then you will see the usual comments will be made. That's right. And the usual reactions will mm -hmm. happen. Can uh, you believe he did? Can yes. You, yeah. Yes. Or you, or you visit your parents and your parents don't fully approve of you. And mm -hmm. then they say, well, you, you remember 10 years ago, I told you you should have done that. You would yeah. be better off now if you had done that. Right. And again, immediately, if you're not present, pain body will arise and you become defensive. Anger will arise. <laughs> so and you're in it. You're drawn yeah, into in, the drama. Yes. So it, it requires great alertness not to be drawn in. Right. So, because the, we don't underestimate the pain body's ability to draw in, sometimes even very present people can still be drawn in. Yes. And you were saying that it happens in intimate situations, in family situations more often than not, because 
I, I would suppose is because out in the world, everybody's trying to be at least on their best behavior. Yes. A lot of people who are taking this class, you know, are working people who see it in their jobs every day with people. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Every day. Yes. Uh, I love on page 134 <clears throat> when you say, although the body is very intelligent, it cannot tell the difference between an actual situation and a thought. It reacts to every thought as if it were a reality. It doesn't know it's just a thought. To the body, a worrisome, fearful thought means I'm in danger, and it responds accordingly, even though you may be lying in a warm and comfortable bed at night. The heart beats faster, muscles contract, breathing becomes rapid. There's a buildup of energy, but since the danger is only a mental fiction, the energy has no outlet. The rest of the energy turns toxic, interferes with the harmonious functioning of the body. Yes. So that's what you said weeks ago about worry. Yes. Yeah. Oh, to, to just see in oneself when worry arises, what we call worry is simply mm -hmm. repetitive negative thought patterns. That's right. And your body doesn't know the difference. And so all of that energy is inside your body, and that's what makes people sick. Yes, yes. So it's very important to clear up your mind mm -hmm. so that you stop the continuous negativity mm -hmm. of the egoic self-talk, as we could call it. Mm -hmm. So recognize it mm -hmm. and then step out of that stream of thinking. Use any device you can. I recommend device number one to step out of the stream of negative thinking, mm -hmm. come into the present moment, take one or two conscious breaths. You've stepped out of the stream of thinking. Or feel the inner body, feel the aliveness in your arms, your hands, your legs. Put your attention there. Right. You've stepped out of the stream of thinking. Or if look at something and bring your full consciousness to the act of perception. For example, a tree or a flower, anything natural is best. Look at anything natural, give it your full attention mm -hmm. that takes you out of the stream of thinking. Or any natural sound, the, a bird, the to wind. bring you back, really. Bring you all, bring, bring you back, you back to the present. These are all little, little ways in which you can step out of the stream of repetitive thinking. In the story on page 137, the duck with the human mind. Love that story. <laughs> you talk about how the human mind creates a me and a my story that keeps negative emotions alive, live and personalizes everything, and it's ultimately led our entire species to a precipice. So tell us the duck story. Well, I what was, lessons it has for all of us as humans. I was writing The uh, Power of Now and writing about uh, accumulated emotions. And then I was taking a break and went into the park and sat on a bench by a pond. And I saw two ducks approaching on the pond. And suddenly, maybe one duck got, one duck got close, too close to the other. Suddenly, they started getting into a fight. Yeah. Uh, lasted for about 30 seconds, and then they both separated, swam off in opposite directions. They, they were still agitated, both of them. And then both ducks kind of lifted themselves up on the water and vigorously flapped their wings a few times. They almost stood up on the water and went <laughs> And then suddenly they were totally peaceful again and swam off. They were doing cleansing breath. Cleansing. Which we did from Russia last week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, and I realized at that moment I had been actually been writing about this, and the ducks were showing me how to, how they let go of what otherwise would have become 
accumulated negativity in the body. Wow. And so that instinctive natural intelligence takes over. Take and then off. I realized they all do it. Yeah, yeah. And all the ducks after a fight do that. And immediately that... It's like clearing their wings. Clearing. The energy gets dissipated. Wow. And they are totally peaceful afterwards. And then, of course, they don't have a human mind which repeats the story of what this duck did to me mm -hmm. and what I'm going to do to this duck next time or I'm never going to get close to her any, anymore, <laughs> whatever the How story is. How dare you come over to my oh, side of the pond oh, yes. again. And then yeah. talk to other ducks about what the other that duck did to you and yes. all the story making, because the story making that still goes on in the human mind keeps the old emotion alive. Yes. So you relive it again, the negativity is relived. The body believes it's still happening. Yes. Because the body believes in what your mind is thinking. Because to although the, the body is intelligent, it cannot tell the difference between an actual situation and a thought. Yes. So whatever thoughts you're, you're holding, that your body believes that is your reality. And the corresponding wow. emotions will arise. Wow. And the corresponding physical states of contraction will be there. Wow. So this is how that was the duck's lesson, so I, I put it into the book. That's, that's and right. I mean, and we see so many people, I know I have friends who've been through divorce and they live and still, you know, hating their ex-spouse and talking about their ex-spouse and what their ex-spouse did to them and, you know, years after yes. the spouse is gone. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so that keeps it alive as if it were still happening. As if it were still happening. And there's an addictive and quality. And that's in your mind. It's that's in, in the your mind. mind. And it's addictive. There's right. an addictive quality to that. You need to see it in yourself to see that you, if it's still the case for some of the people who are listening to us. So it's like the monks. Tell the monk story. I like the monk story. The two monks. Yes. And the one monk picks up the girl on the road. Yes, that's the story of two monks on a pilgrimage. And they come across, in a village, they come across a, a young 17-year-old girl with a long kimono trying to cross a very muddy road, but she's not daring to step into the mud. So one monk picks her up, carries her across the road through the mud, puts her down. And so the monks walk on in silence for another four or five hours, just practicing noble silence. And then after four or five hours, they're getting close to their destination. One monk says to the monk who had picked up the girl, oh, you know, you shouldn't have done that because we monks are not supposed even to touch women. So you really, you shouldn't have picked up that girl. You're not supposed to do that. And the other monk says, oh, are you still carrying that girl? I put her down hours ago. So the other monk was still carrying the girl, the event, in his head. Four hours and later. And for four hours he was walking with this burden. Yes, right. <laughs> and that shows the... the, the reluctance of the human mind to let go of the past. Yeah, so how many of us reading this chapter are not carrying things from four hours ago, but carrying things from four years and 40 years ago? Yes. People are still holding on to what yes. was done to them. Yes, Yeah. yes, that's a dreadful burden. It's mm -hmm. like carrying a, a useless weight around with you. Mm -hmm. And some people carry it from all their lives. Yeah. The, and they even derive some identity from that. Right, right. I, I had to learn years ago to let go of what had happened to me as a child because yes. what I realized, you know, my grandmother, the people who took care of me, did the best they knew how to do at the time. Yes. And if they had known better, they would have done better. Yes. Yeah. 
and that is always the case. Whatever humans have done to you, yeah. it's always they didn't know any better because they could only act according to their level of consciousness. Nobody can act beyond their level of consciousness. So you cannot expect your parents, if you believe they, they did something that was wrong, right. you cannot expect your parents to have acted beyond their level of consciousness. Because that's all they knew. Yes. Jesus on the cross said it all when he says, forgive them for they know not what they do, which means they are unconscious. So you, when you realize that, you, for, you naturally That's forgive. That's what Jesus meant. Yes. If he had lived now, he probably would have said they are unconscious. They don't know. Okay. I love when you say that sometimes understanding the science, for me, sometimes understanding the science behind these concepts as you're talking about makes it easier. And you say on page 146, all things are vibrating energy fields mm -hmm. in ceaseless motion. The chair you sit on, the book you're holding, appears solid and motionless only because that's how our senses perceive their vibrational frequency. That is to say, the increased movement of the molecules. And so we're all vibrating at different frequencies. And the vibrational frequency of the pain body resonates with that of negative thoughts. Yes, negative thoughts or, or, and other negative emotions coming from other people. And then I love that you say this on page one, oh, 152. You write on page 152, I think this is great here. If you were not familiar with our contemporary civilization, if you had come here from another age or another planet, one of the things that would amaze you is that millions of people love and pay money to watch humans kill and inflict pain on each other and call it entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> when I read that, I thought, yeah, if you're from another planet, you think you would think, what is that? Yes. So what is that, that people love that? I mean, the most violent movies, destructive, yes. you know, all those pain bodies up there mm -hmm. on the screen. And what is it about a lot of the public that, that enjoys that? Well, it's the, if it's, in some cases, violence may be actually helpful to see because it shows the human madness, if mm -hmm. it shows the wider context in which violence happens, mm -hmm. if it shows uh, the psychological dysfunction behind violence, mm -hmm. and then it can be helpful. But most of these movies contain violence that is actually meant to feed the pain body. And it is the pain body in the viewers who enjoy those films that enjoys the violence. So it's not actually the, the people themselves who pay money to see these movies. It's the pain body in them that feeds on the violence that it watches. Mm. So, and the people who produce these movies probably... Their pain bodies are writing them. The pain bodies write them. The pain bodies write the movies, the pain bodies produce them, and the pain bodies watch them. <laughs> okay. I think it's interesting what you talk about on page 159, that as there are individual pain bodies that each of us carries because of whatever negativity <clears throat> happened in our lives and we didn't completely deal with that at the moment, that there is also a collective pain body that nations carry yes. and races carry. And you say the collective racial pain body is pronounced in 
Jewish people who suffered persecution over many centuries. Not surprisingly, it's strong as well in Native Americans whose numbers were decimated, whose culture all but destroyed by the European settlers, and black Americans too, for whom the collective pain body is pronounced, their ancestors violently uprooted, beaten into submission, and sold into slavery. The foundation of American economic prosperity rested on the labor of four to five million black slaves. In fact, the suffering inflicted on Native and black Americans has not remained confined to those two races, but has become part of the collective American pain body. It is always the case that both victim and perpetrator suffer the consequences of any acts of violence, oppression, or brutality. For what you do to others, you do to yourself. Yeah. This collective pain body that America holds, and I think a lot of Americans, uh, number one, don't know it exists and want to deny that it does exist yes. because they say, I didn't have anything to do with slavery. Yes. Or I didn't have anything to do with the Native yes. Americans. Yes. Correct? That's right. Yes. And to not to recognize it is what? To, to, is to be in denial of what is the truth. Yes. And then it continues to be there without you knowing it. And, that's right. Uh, so that's... Because the that's recognition where... of it is the beginning of being able to change it, right? Yes. That's right. You also talk about this when it comes to um, women. Pretty revolutionary. On page 155, you say, the suppression of the feminine principle, especially over the past 2,000 years, has enabled the ego to gain absolute supremacy in the collective human psyche. Although women have egos, of course, the female form is less rigidly encapsulated than the male and has greater openness and sensitivity toward other life forms. If the balance between male and female energies, I found this so fascinating, had not been destroyed on our planet, you say, the ego's growth would have been greatly curtailed. With many people becoming more conscious, the ego is losing its hold on the human mind because the ego was never as deeply rooted in women. It's losing its hold on women more quickly than on men. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's because, you know what? Reading this, as a female, living in the world today, able to make choices and be my own person and express myself, I had forgotten about the years and years of torture and suppression and killing of women. Yes. For the most natural things, because you liked animals, because you were a midwife, because you were a woman who wanted to have a voice. Yes. Tortured, killed. Yes. Hundreds of millions of women. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's the, uh, what I'm saying is it's the arising ego. And that happened that because it, of the ego and the male. Yes. Yes. So it's not the male as such. It was the, the growing ego. ego in the male that had to, that saw the feminine principle and the feminine energy as a threat because it could not fully establish itself in that. You believe we would have had a new earth a lot sooner if there had been not the suppression of the female. Yes, probably, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, but the shift is happening now, and the interesting thing is that there are more women changing, going through the shift in consciousness, mm -hmm. than men. So they, uh, men are going through also, but there are, for example, uh, Elizabeth Lesser mentioned mm -hmm. at her, uh, the Omega Institute, mm -hmm about 70-75% of the people who come there for inner work, consciousness transformation, and so on, are women. So women are more open now to the change in consciousness that is happening than men. 
I'm not saying it's not happening to men also, but yeah, there's a greater openness. Yeah, we have men out there. We love it. <laughs> Audrey in Campbell, California, one of our emails says, I have 20 pounds to lose. As a child, my father and brother called me big girl and big fat cow. Could this be? That's not good. Could this be why? Audrey, that's not good at all. Uh, could this be why I have such difficulty losing the weight? I've been hearing these words in my head for years and years, and I can't let the words go. Help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, of course, these words have become lodged in your mind, mm -hmm. and they have taken up residence in your mind, and now you can't get rid of them. So they are, again, thoughts are energy formations, and thoughts that uh, get lodged in your mind, sometimes they start in childhood when parents tell you something negative. For example, some parents tell their children, you are stupid. Mm -hmm. It's a stupid thing to say. Yes, <laughs> but, <laughs> it's a stupid thing to say that your kids are stupid, yeah. And, and if told that repeatedly, this thought becomes lodged in their mind. Mm -hmm. if, you're not, if you don't bring presence to it now, you won't be able to dislodge it. So the first thing is to realize that what has happened to you is that something that you were told years ago repeatedly is now, has now become a thought that refuses to leave. It's an energy, it's, you're possessed, so to speak, tempor temporarily hopefully, mm -hmm. by a thought. So realize, the questioner here needs mm -hmm. to realize that this is an old thought and realize it's no more than a thought. It is not the truth. It's an old record that has been playing itself over, over the years. and over in your head. It's big fat cow, big fat big, cow, big fat cow. Yes, no more than an old, tape. no more than a tape. Not a so when, it, when you hear it again, when you hear that in your mind, you realize there's the old tape again. That's right. It loses its power because it's no more than that. That's right. There's an old tape for the past, and the past has no power over the present moment. No. All right. I love also when you say that um, thinking is no more than a tiny aspect of the totality of consciousness, the totality of who you are. Yes. I had an awakening moment with that thought because we all think that we are, th up until reading this book, I think so many of us, I was one of those people, thinking that we were our thoughts. Yes. And then to read that thinking, not only are we not our thoughts, we are the awareness of our thoughts, but that thinking is only no more than a tiny aspect of the totality of consciousness, the totality of who you are. Yes. And the awareness, of course, compared to thinking, the awareness is vast, it's limitless, and has infinite potential for anything creative to come into your life. Because that's can, where all your creativity comes yes, from. Yes, not through thinking. Thinking right. can become a secondary tool in manifesting something, but but not with the creative insight, the creative realization, the creative idea yeah. does not come through the movement of thinking. Wow. Think about that, everybody, that when you have a creative, an inspi inspiration does not come through your thoughts. No. And it comes through your being. Yes, and so the space of awareness. The space of awareness. Now, to the extent to which you are creative in, in your life depends on how much access you have in yourself to that space of awareness, of yeah. presence. Uh -huh. uh, and it's sometimes enough for brief moments uh, to have ac access to that. And for some people, that's enough to lead a creative life. Right. 
but of course we want to be more than that, not just have brief, brief access, but to, to make it the very foundation of your life. It's like when Quincy Jones was doing um, the We Are The World tape and he brought together all of those artists and he left the door open. First they had a sign outside the door that said, check your egos at the door. <laughs> And then they left the door open. He said, we wanted to leave room for God to walk in the room. <laughs> have, leave enough space for God to walk into the room. Yes. 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 So your nature is leaving the space. Leaving the space. Leaving the space inside yourself. Yes. Uh, so also, if you want change in your life, some people don't know. There will be other chapters when we'll talk about life purpose and so on. But, but the realization of what it is, for example, what it is that you're meant to do in your life also comes from that inner space. Are you able to allow the space within, become still, right? and then whatever it is that you need to know will arise from we'll come there. through that. Yes, we'll and then it, it may come as a thought, but then it'll be an inspired thought. Right. Without the space, without the stillness, without accessing that dimension, Thinking cannot be inspired. There is no inspired thinking. The inspiration comes from the, the realm that is deeper than thought. I got that. And you're never going to think your way to a purpose. N no. And, and you're not going to worry your, your way out of a problem. You're not going to worry your way out of a <laughs> it's problem. It's impossible because worry means to, to manufacture more problems. The same thing. You're just yes. continuing the same thought over and over. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you need a different kind of consciousness. Wasn't it Einstein that said that? Uh, I don't, kind of yes, I don't remember whether it was Einstein or Jung, but uh, the, he said the uh, a problem cannot be solved on the same level of consciousness that gave rise to the that problem. created it. Yes. We have an email from Judy in Columbia, South Carolina. Could you talk a bit about alcohol and drug abuse in the pain body? Is this an attempt at escape from the pain body, alcohol and drug abuse? Yes, often it is. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mentioned that in the book. It's an escape uh, of not wanting to feel the pain anymore. If, uh, if the, in, some, in some people, the pain body is active almost all the time. Mm -hmm. And that is a dreadful way to live. And those people in whom the pain body is active almost all the time, often they will seek some kind of escape from it because they can't live with that pain anymore. The pain body loves it but it, it makes your life more and more miserable. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but there is also a good chance, and maybe that brings us to the, what connects us to the, what I said in the book, if, if people who have a heavy pain body, mm -hmm. their chance of awakening is also quite great right. because when life becomes unbearable because you are creating so much pain continuously for yourself, your desire to awaken, to finally get out of this misery, is much greater than a normal person's desire to awaken. In other words, you could say, um, when you're having a relatively pleasant dream, you don't mind so much dreaming on. Mm -hmm. But when your dream turns into a nightmare, then you really want to awake, awaken from that when you can't stand it. And that was the case with me. I had a very, very heavy pain body that drove me almost cl very close to suicide until I, the realization came, I cannot live with myself any longer. And that, that thought was the breakthrough where the separation happened from the consciousness that I am 
and the ego and the pain body that I had been identified with as the unhappy little me. Were you really actually going to kill yourself? Um, did, you, did you have a plan to kill yourself? Yes, I had my first plans to kill myself I already had at the age of nine and ten. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I had worked it all out, but somehow I didn't quite have the courage yet to do it. Because the pain body was so heavy all, even at all, 9 and 10? Already then it was quite heavy. Then it subsided a little bit, and then it came back again very strongly in my 20s. Wow. And what was it? What was it that caused you to feel you felt depressed, you felt unworthy, you felt what? It was partly living in uh, almost continuous conflict in the home environment between my parents, who were always fighting. There was very little peace at home. Mm -hmm. I was very sensitive, so it was very hard for me to even be there at home. Mm -hmm. As you say in the book, for children who watch their parents fight, right. it's almost unbearable. Yes, and, and that, of course, contributes to their, the child's uh, growing pain body. Mm -hmm. So my pain body grew very quickly. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but if, if, I, if this had not been the case, I would never have awakened. Out. Right. It, I would have been in a relatively pleasant dream. That's right. If you'd had a nice, happy childhood, you might not be sitting here teaching with us tonight. Certainly not. Mm -hmm. No, no. So, uh, retrospectively, one is grateful for one's suffering, mm -hmm. because eventually suffering will wake you up. You said, uh, when I read earlier on page 141 about any negative emotion that's not fully faced and seen for what it is in the moment it arises does not completely dissolve. It leaves behind a remnant of pain. So when we are faced with negative emotions on a daily basis, we should embrace them. We should go into them rather than resist them. Yes, accept whatever emotion... Accept it. Accept because it's part of accepting the present moment because mm -hmm. if, if a certain... Uh, Negative emotion is part of what's happening in the present moment. What can you do? It's already happening. So take you take it. Take it, make sure, oh, there it is. I can feel that anger. I can feel the sadness. I can feel it. That be the space for it. So accept that it is there. Mm -hmm. The acceptance of the present moment, no matter what form it takes, externally or internally, whatever form it takes. Externally, it means whatever situation arises right now. It always is as it is at this moment. You right. might as well say yes to it. Internally, it means whatever emotion arises at this moment, it is as it is. You might as well say yes to it. Well, I know next week we're going to be talking about breaking free of the pain body, but just for now, if every time you can see it show itself and recognize it for what it is, there it is, there's my pain body yes. again, there's his again, that... <clears throat> the awareness of it begins to dissolve it, correct? Yes, yes. Okay. okay, somebody asked earlier, there was an email where somebody wanted to know whether or not that pain body um, allows artists and writers and creative people to be more creative, the pain body. There are, especially in modern art and modern writing, there are some artists who express the pain body in their work. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you read their work or when you see their visual art, you can see, wow, mm -hmm. there's a lot of pain in there. Mm -hmm. And perhaps that is how they free themselves to some extent of the pain body because they externalize it and make it into an object. Yeah, you can there. take that suffering and turn it into something yes. else. Now, whether this will be, whether this is really helpful to many humans, I don't know. 
to see so much pain on a canvas, right. <laughs> I'm sure it was helpful for the artist right. to externalize that. So I believe that the deepest art goes deeper than that, than just show the pain, the human pain. Right. It, goes, it, might, it may also include the human pain, but like the great works of literature are not just expressions of human suffering, they also show a dimension that's beyond suffering. Right. Well, another question from Mary in Birmingham, Michigan. Politics in the pain body, she writes. Is it the pain body that leads us to be fascinated with others' downfalls? Is that our pain body that, that loves to hear bad things about other people? The tabloids? Uh, uh, yes, uh, hearing. Even watching the news, things that are true, scandals. Loving, loving bad news. Yes, loving uh, bad is, news. Is also of the pain body. And so there are some publications actually thrive on emotional negativity. They actually, right. they sell a negative emotion. Some newspapers do it in their headlines. And, be, and because they have realized the more negative the headlines are, the more papers they sell. Yeah, you were saying the British press. <laughs> they love it. Love they, it, yeah. yes. And we do too now in, in, yeah. in our country. Yeah. Yeah, more yeah. and more tabloid newspapers, tabloid magazines, following the lives of famous people. People love to see famous people fail, yes. fall. Yes. And is that's our pain body? Yes, the, whatever, whenever you see in that negativity, the enjoyment of negativity in whatever form, or the enjoyment of negative events, the enjoyment of negative things happening to people, the enjoyment of your own negative thinking, mm -hmm. all that is, is the pain body. It loves pain. It lives on it. And loves drama. It seeks drama. Drama is part of that pain, yes. 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 So that's what we're going to talk about next week, is how you can begin to free the pain body or any energy that you're carrying from the past. Yes. And you can free it instantly. You free it instantly, but although not the whole of it necessarily instantly, but in the moment, some of it can become transmuted. And I, the example I give is like, it's like putting a, a log into the fire. The fire is the fire of consciousness or presence. Mm -hmm. And so the pain body can actually be can transmuted and, be, and becomes presence. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, next week. Before we say goodbye, though, let's sum up what we've covered in this class today. What do you want people to know about the pain body? The most vital thing is for people to be there when it happens. Now, when it happens means it's either happening to somebody close to you, at home, your partner or family member, or more importantly, when the pain body happens to you. Now, it's easier to realize that the pain body is there when you see it arising in somebody in else. People, yeah. Always easier. Uh, you require more presence to see it in yourself. But that's the vital thing is to be there and realize it that's the pain body. Well, the way you know it's in yourself is when you start to tell yourself the story. The woman who was the big fat cow, mm -hmm. her family had called her a big fat cow her whole life. When you start to replaying the tapes in your head over and over again, my story, my story, my story, identifying with that, anything you identify with is ego. Yes. Right. <clears throat> that's how you know it's the pain body. Yes, or a sudden emotion arises, mm -hmm. something your partner made a remark, said something, and an enormous an emotion arises that is out of proportion to the external trigger. Mm -hmm. And that could be the beginning of the arising pain body. Mm. 
So then you say, oh, there's the pain body. Then you're already, you're not, you're not at the mercy of the pain. So body. let me ask you this. On the night that you had <coughs> that, uh, the, the breakthrough, where you mm. said, I cannot live with myself any longer, did you lose your pain body too? Yes. Well, that just was one happy day, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's quite rare. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you lost your ego, you lost your body. What a day that was. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. after years of dreadful suffering. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's the one more thing to say about the pain body mm -hmm. is when you see it in somebody else, you have to be very careful. Yeah, uh, the pain bodies don't like to hear that they are the pain body. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking to somebody like your partner, you have to be very careful because uh, once the partner has already been taken over by the pain body, if at that stage you say, there's your pain body, your partner won't be hearing you anymore. The mm -hmm. pain body will be hearing you and the pain body will say something back and it we'll won't be pleasant. It. it won't be pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't argue with the pain body. No way. You can, ever, can't. You, can't, you can never win an argument with the pain body. He'll always win. The pain body will win. It'll go on and on and on and find another clever argument why the pain is justified and right. And so it's mm. like uh, our first caller from Silver Spring uh, was talking about her sister, what we must learn to do is be compassionate, Yes. stand still, Yes. stand still, as I said with the poem, stand still and allow it to be yes. whatever it is. Yes. And then... And then you don't feed it. You don't feed it. Yeah. Don't allow yourself to be drawn into the... <clears throat> pulled into the drama of it. Oh. And yeah. if the pain body is not fed, then it, it won't sustain itself for that long. It'll have to seek some other place where it will get fed or it will subside. So that's the beauty when, you, when you're in a relationship. If both partners are conscious enough, you can have an agreement that says, if I observe the pain body beginning in you, or you observe the pain body beginning in me, please let me know. You're going to point it out. You have to point it out at the beginning before it takes over completely, because once it's taken over completely, the person won't be hearing you anymore. But at the beginning, you can still say, could that be your pain body? Even that is dangerous, but you yeah, can try. No, it's not my pain body! <laughs> Again, we thank you. Thank you. We thank you. You're a, a man without a pain body. <laughs> We'll see you in class next time. Thank you. Hey, Supersolars. Looking for a great new read or listen? Well, that's why we're so excited about Oprah's new book, The Path Made Clear, Discovering Your Life's Direction and Purpose. Oprah has collected all of the lessons she's learned from thought leaders like Eckhart Tolle and Brene Brown and innovators like Jay-Z and Lin-Manuel Miranda who all understand what it means to achieve the life of your dreams. The Path Made Clear is available now on Apple Books, Amazon, Audible, and at your local bookstore. It really is a game changer for anyone seeking to discover their true calling and start living it. So what are you waiting for? Get the book now and begin your journey today.